0: You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit Providencetx.org. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Good, good, good. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Ty Gaston. I'm one of the staff members here at Providence Community Church. And here at Providence, we are a people formed around a single and compelling vision, and that is to make the gospel unignorable in our city. And it's to that end that we teach the Bible every single week because we believe it's a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path, and it's been given to us so that we can know, worship, and obey Jesus. And this morning we're going to be continuing our series of Life Together. Uh, where we are studying what it looks like for the Christian to build its life out in light of its faith, especially in the context of biblical community. Uh, So this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. If you have a Bible, whether in print or electronic, I encourage you to turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one located underneath one of the seats in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, you can call your own. Consider that a gift from us to you. Again, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 through 12, if you can and are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 12 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone.
1: It's good to see you. Uh, Welcome into Providence once again. Uh, Very excited to hop into the text. I would like to start off just by praying. Asking God to help us, so if you could bow your heads with me, uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, God, for the ability to be here this morning, um, to engage with your word and the saints, and God, I pray um, that you would help us, God, to be discerning, um, to pay attention, Lord, and and to understand uh, your word more clearly than before we walked in this room. God, we pray together against the enemy. And all of his schemes against our souls, against our families, against our church, against the world. And God, we pray that you would protect us. As we learn about this very subject today, God, that you would help us to be discerning against his schemes and fighters, uh, Lord, like you have called us to be. And we pray that all the seed... Um, from the word that's planted on the soils of our hearts today would stick and grow and flourish and would not be snatched up by the enemy. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. Um, as Ty said, we are in a series called Life Together. We are nearing the end of the series and uh, we have spent the past couple of weeks kind of talking about different relationships kind of going on uh, in Ephesians. So we talked about the husband, the wife, the parents, um, the bondservant and master. And now Paul is kind of taking a turn here. He's going to start off finally. Uh, He's going to kind of go into a subject here on spiritual warfare, which we'll be in for the next uh, two weeks. This will be kind of like a part one, uh, part two. So we're going to focus just on verses 10 through 12 uh, today, and then next week will be verses 13 and on, uh, on the subject. And so, Spiritual warfare uh, is a topic that is maybe not talked about too often, but I think it's a very important one for us uh, to discuss. Um, There's a lot of things in here I kind of want to mention, but probably not a lot of time for it. So this isn't a full-on systematic theology review of spiritual warfare. Uh, This is going to be just a glimpse at this text and kind of what's going on here and what I think Paul is trying to communicate to us. Uh, on how to fight in this battle we call spiritual warfare. And I think he's got a lot of good advice for us. Um, But I want to frame the idea of spiritual warfare and kind of thinking through it. So there's kind of multiple ways you can look at this. But one of the most helpful ways I've read and heard, it's not come from me, many people have said this uh, before me, but is to look at spiritual warfare when considering the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so uh, the war- spiritual warfare is not just that the devil is attacking us, and we need to be aware of that, but it also includes uh, the world and kind of what's in the world and how the world allures us away from Christ. It includes the flesh, our sinful flesh, right, which is stained by sin It includes a lot of things. Um, and so I want to mention a few things about them. One is the world, okay? So the world is inevitably uh, stained By sin, right? The effects we can see—if you turn on the news, you look around the world—you can see the effects of sin are pretty clear in our world. And the Bible is also clear when it talks about the world um, that if we love the world, well, that's hatred towards God, right? What the Book of John says, or James four four, for instance, says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And so we know that there's this dynamic in the world where the more and more we begin to love this world, be drawn away by the desires of this world, right? That we end up being, uh, in fact, drawn away from Christ, right? You're drawn towards the world. That's being drawn away from Christ. And so we know the world plays a key part in our spiritual warfare. You also have the flesh, right? Uh, We are sinful. We are infected deeply. We are all covered with sin, right? And that affects the way we think. It affects our actions. It affects the way we treat people. It affects the way we view God and worship him, right? It affects everything, even as a believer, um, even though you've been freed from the domination of sin, you are still absolutely impacted and affected by sin, right? And so that's why Peter can say something like in First Peter 2.11, he says, Beloved, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul, right? So there is a legitimate ability of the passions of the flesh to wage war against your soul. This matters. And then we also have Satan and demons, right, who are real. We're going to get into this in a little bit, but they're fallen angels, right? That have rebelled against God and uh, have basically set their aims to cause uh, the people of the world to do the same, right? To come with them, to join them in their parade of destruction. So, But I want to mention that it's impossible to separate these things, right? So what we shouldn't do is say, okay, um, you know, If something bad happens, let's give an example. Say you're tempted to sin, right? You're tempted to do something wrong. Well, we can't just say this is absolutely, singularly the devil. He's to blame. It's not me. It's just him tempting me. So that's what's going on. But really, in reality, we know what? We know that the Bible says, well, God tempts no one, but we're lured and enticed by our own desires, right? So we know that's at play when we're tempted for sin because we want sinful things. Uh, We know the world that we live in uh, basically promotes this at every turn, right, to sin. And we also know the devil would love for us to sin and not to believe in God, right? And so these things are so intertwined. It's like this. I remember... uh, So in West Virginia, uh, that's where I'm from, if you didn't know that, okay, I say it pretty much every week I'm up here, so you're welcome. Uh, But for a lot of people in West Virginia, when you think about vacation, you're probably thinking, okay, I'm going to go somewhere, cool, I'm going to go down to Mexico, I'm going to do this. But in West Virginia, most of the time when you go on vacation, you go to West Virginia for vacation. This is, I'm not kidding, this happens, all right, you go downstate, you go to Greenbrier, or something like that, and that's your vacation. But every once in a while, as a kid, we would venture out to somewhere like Myrtle Beach in South Carolina or Ocean City. And I remember this distinct moment one time, my like first real time at the beach, giving a go at it. I was with my my cousins and we kind of all went and traveled there. And uh, I was not a great swimmer at the time. I was pretty young. Okay. I knew that, you know, I got the talk about how dangerous the ocean is, all these things. And so uh, we went out swimming and my cousins convinced me. So let's see how far we can get out there, right? And so we get decently far. With well, this point, I can't reach, okay? Like I said, I'm not that great of a swimmer, and it's not like California waves, but there are waves there in Myrtle Beach, okay? And so I remember this distinct moment of being just kind of tackled by this huge wave, and then all I remember is darkness and flipping and hitting things, and I get on uh, to the beach, and I had just inhaled so much water through my nose, that I just threw up everywhere. It was just awful, okay? And I remember thinking, that was, a, was the worst decision of time. But if you think about that analogy, at the same time, uh, my decision, right, to walk into the water where I couldn't reach, my inability to swim, the force of the waves, and the deception of my cousin were all at play in that moment, okay, of, of to what happened to me, okay? It was all in the same moment intertwined. And that's how we should think about spiritual warfare uh, with that. Now, to say that, we're going to take a turn to this text, which is by and large going to focus on our enemy, Satan, Okay, that's what it's going to focus on. It's going to focus on Satan and his schemes. But make no mistake, our sinfulness and the world are intertwined. And also, when I refer to Satan throughout this text, it's really Satan and demons. Okay, I'm not just, just talking about Satan. It's not like Satan is omnipresent and he's coming after all of us individually at the same time. It doesn't work that way. But there is, in fact, a kingdom of darkness that is after us. So let's hop into the text. I'm going to read it through one more time just so we kind of get a feel for what we're talking about here. So Paul says, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. So there's three things, I think, three major things that Paul is pointing out to us that is important for us to hear. The first one is the reality of our fight, okay? This is important. There is a reality to what's going on here, okay? There is a real fight that we are engaged in, a spiritual warfare that we are battling, okay, that really matters, that really has high stakes, that's really important, and that is really real. So the issue is, and we'll get into this, but we can't see our enemy, right? We cannot see our enemy, and so this makes this weird dynamic for us, but it is a real thing, okay? So our enemy is real. The devil, the demons are real. It's a real enemy. So just a few things the Bible calls Satan, You got the Satan, devil, the tempter, accuser of our brothers, the evil one, the father of lies, murderer, ruler of this world, the God of this world, the deceiver of the whole world, and the ancient serpent, and so on and so on. There's many other texts about him. So these are actual beings, real beings in the world um, that are actively seeking to destroy us and distract us from Jesus himself. Satan is a rebellious angel. He's a real being. He is not some uh, you know fictional character that we make up to explain why the world is trying to ruin our day. Okay, but he is a real and active being. Um, there seems to be maybe two extremes that we fall on. Okay, uh, C.S. Lewis kind of talked about this in uh, his book Screw Tape Letters in the introduction, but but really, th- there's mainly two extremes, and the first one is that we fear him far too greatly. And the second one is that we ignore him as if he doesn't exist, okay? So we have a real enemy, but we have the ability to kind of fall in these extremes. So if you look at the fear side, okay, maybe you've watched too many movies on exorcism, okay? Or maybe legitimately you've had some encounters and experiences that you cannot really explain. I've had those personally in my life in other countries and even here where it seemed very demonic and weird uh, things that were going on. So maybe you've had those experiences and you're thinking, oh my my goodness, I'm, I'm afraid, right? I could be possessed by the devil or demons or there's lots of things. It really becomes this almost obsessive fear, Uh, that really, um, I guess, kind of underscores the fact that Jesus is all-powerful and Satan is not, right? Satan is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at the same time. He is a being in one place at one time. He is not all-knowing, so he doesn't read your mind and know all of your thoughts, but he does study you and knows a lot probably about us. Demons have ability to do this, but the point is this, that we end up fearing him far too greatly and almost obsessing over the devil and demons. And the other way is that we ignore it like it's not real. Now, whether you like it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, you are a product of materialism, okay? American psychology for the past couple hundred years, um, really the whole kind of Western thought is branched into this. But you are a product of materialism. What I mean by that is if you can see it and you can prove it, then it must exist. And if you cannot see it and you cannot prove it, then it doesn't exist. Now, I know your theology has room for things that we can't see like God, right, angels, Satan, and demons. But usually for us, we are like functional materialists, okay, is the best way I can describe it. It's like we believe in the supernatural, but it doesn't touch our reality, right? We don't live our life in light of the supernatural being real quite often, right? Um, we, we normally kind of just fall in this materialism where it's like what I can see is my enemy and that's all I'm going to focus on. But in reality, the far bigger threat than a physical enemy is an enemy that we cannot see but is absolutely real and is absolutely always engaged in the destruction of your soul, your family, your church, and the world. Okay, and this is important. We have a real enemy. So we can't fall in the extremes, but we got to understand God is in control God will win the battle, yet we have a fight. It's a real fight, and it really matters what we do in the fight. And this is important for us to understand. So those are the two extremes that we have to be careful of. But our enemy is real, and here's the deal. No matter which extreme you fall on, Satan won. All right, he's happy, okay? doesn't matter. You can obsess over him and worship him and be weird about it or you can totally ignore him. He's fine either way, right? Because an enemy you can't see, an enemy you don't know is definitely the most dangerous enemy, right? So you have to be careful with that. Uh, Another point in this is that not only is our enemy real, but we are truly at war. Okay, we got to remind ourselves this. We are truly at war. I love that the, the term used here in verse 12 is that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This Word in the Greek implies like a hand-to-hand, fist-to-fist combat. Like We are tangled up MMA style going at it. This is the kind of battle that we are in. We are in a real battle that has real consequences, okay? This is not something that we can ignore. We are engaged in a war for our souls, for our belief in the gospel, for our love of Christ and seeing the glory of Christ. This is why 1 Peter 5.8 could say things like, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? This imagery is a real engaged fight. Second uh, Corinthians 4.4 4 says this about non-believers. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So there is this battle we're engaged in for souls. When we think about mission, we have to think about this as well, right? That the mission is to Rip that blinder off and let people see the image of the glory of Christ. That's what we mean when we say make the gospel unignorable in our city. It's a battle for souls. Also, it's a spiritual battle, okay? It is not a a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. This is why it says, um, would you not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? If it was flesh and blood, then we could just use our own strength, right? We should just leave here, you know. Go to Crunch Fitness and get swole because we're gonna fight, right? I mean, that's what we would do if it was a physical fight, but it's not. It's spiritual engagement. It's important, okay? That's why we're in here getting swole on the word. You can tweet that later, and I don't even need cre- I don't even credit, okay? So you just do it. Um, that's why he says that, okay? So it's not a physical war to gauge him, it's a spiritual one. This complicates things for us because we can't see it, right? You can't grab your enemy, you can't snipe your enemy. It, it's it's a spiritual war now. Where's he finding spiritually? Let's just go over a few things that the Bible is clear are part of the devil's schemes, okay? One is false teaching. Paul and the other writers of the New Testament spend, it seems like, an inordinate amount of time just counteracting false teaching, right? This is what happened. This is when Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus in Acts 20, right? He's saying, look, there's going to be wolves that come in among you to deceive you, to devour you, right? You have to be aware of these things. So in false teaching, like theology matters, okay? We never want to be super spiritual. We say, oh, theology's stupid. I just want to love God and love people. Well, that's a theology. You got that from theology is how you get to love God, love people. So it does matter and Satan does attack there and that's important to consider, um, and this kind of ties into that, but maybe more specifically our disbelief in the gospel over and over and over again. You see texts in the Bible where Satan is there accusing believers of their, of their basically unworthiness to receive Christ, right? This is a deception from the enemy. Yes, we're unworthy. I'm not saying you're worthy to receive Christ. I'm just saying it doesn't matter if you're worthy or not, because that's not how the gospel works, right? The gospel works that God in his grace decided to save you and you know, you are saved by that grace, right? It's not your merits. I'm not saying we don't play a part in here. I'm just saying that God is the one that does the saving. And this is important for us. And so the belief that we're not worthy because of what we've done, we're worthy because what Christ has done, right? That's what makes all believers worthy. And that's where Satan will battle, make no mistake. Uh, thirdly is disunity in the church. Because it's mentioned over and over again in the scriptures, but disunity in the church is definitely a scheme of the enemy, and we'll get into why that is when we talk about um, more of our text, but um, when you have disputes in the church, especially that seem petty, but even that seem pretty great, you can rest assured, yes, there's sin involved. Yes, it's other people's weakness and, and wrongdoing and all of those things, but make no mistake, the enemy's involved too, right? A divided church will not spread the gospel. A divided church will not believe the gospel together, will not fight the good fight of faith together. This is important to remember. So um, that's the reality of our fight. The second thing Paul points out is the severity of our fight, okay? The severity of our fight. Um, There's a lot of important things to say about here, but I just want to mention a few, okay? One is that the enemy really does hate you. Okay, He really does hate you. Uh, The goal of the devil is not to make you spill your coffee so that way your white stained shirt is embarrassing. Okay, It's not the goal of the devil. He hates you through and through, hates your soul, and wishes nothing but death and destruction upon you and upon the whole world. This is what the enemy feels. Thomas Brooks, who wrote a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Designs, which is an amazing book. I highly recommend it. Um, He says this, it's a little long, I apologize, but it's a good explanation of this point. He says, beloved, Satan being fallen from light to darkness, from felicity to misery, from heaven to hell, from an angel to a devil is so full of malice and envy that he will leave no means unattempted whereby he may make all others eternally miserable with himself. He being shut out of heaven and shut up under the chains of darkness until the judgment of the great day makes use of all his power and skill to bring all the sons of men into the same condition and condemnation with himself. Satan has cast such sinful seed into your souls that now he can no sooner tempt, but we are ready to assent. He can no sooner have a plot against us, but, we, but makes uh, a conquest of us. If he does not but show men a little of the beauty and finery of the world, how ready are they to fall down and worship him? Whatever sin the heart of man is most prone to, that the devil will help forward. I thought there's a lot of good points and good advice in here, but what he's trying to say is that Satan's design for you is to make you eternally miserable like himself. That's all Satan and demons want to do. I've said a lot. They they, they know their end. They're just trying to take people down with them. I don't know if they really know their end. I'm not sure. Maybe they think they're going to win. But at the end of the day, the point is that, um, you know, Satan and demons, they hate you. They don't love your family. They don't love your kids. And there's every means necessary to attack you. So in light of that, because he hates us, another point is our enemy schemes against us, right? That's what this word is. Satan schemes. We stand firm against his schemes. So Satan and demons are after your soul, your family, your relationships, your church, etc. The enemy has woven many traps, devices, schemes, and snares okay, to turn you away from God, his word, his gospel, and his people. This is what Satan has designed to do. And like we mentioned before, these schemes are so intricately woven into our sinful patterns, our sinful desires, and the destruction of this world that it becomes very, very difficult to discern the details of what's happening to us in this battle. That's why it's called deception, because you don't know what's going on. So God plans for your good and Satan plans for your destruction. This is important to remember also what I think Paul is trying to mention in this text especially in verse 10 here is that our enemy is stronger than us Satan is stronger than you period okay and I think Paul is trying to point this out to us and I want to go through a few things about our weakness but let's let's, let's start here so remember uh, Ephesians 4 5 and 6 which is what the series has been about uh, is attached to and hangs upon Ephesians 1 2 and 3. Right? So Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 tends to be a much more theological explanation of the gospel. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 tends to be a much more practical outworking of the people of God and how they live life together in light of these truths. So I want to go back to Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, to just kind of describe our weakness a little bit. I think this will help. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, Following the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I'll stop right there. And I love that Matt read that in, in the worship too. But what's the point here? The point is, where were you before God's grace? Right? Where he's given you the gospel by grace through faith. Where were you? Well, you were spiritually dead, right? You were uh, following the influence of the devil through and through. You were a children. You were children of wrath, right? Like the rest of mankind, and all your passions and all of your sinfulness. But God, being rich in mercy, because He loved us, right, He comes in and He changes things. So, what I'm trying to get us to see here is this text is showing you when it says, "Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might." He's leading you to understand you are not strong, right? You are weak. If you think of yourself as strong, you will plunder your spiritual battle and spiritual warfare. You cannot think of yourself as strong. You are a very weak person. So I think that Paul is trying to show us both our weakness and the power of our enemy at the same time in this text. Okay. And this is a great point for us to understand. Now, he's not saying that we should be unnecessarily terrified of the devil. Right. Like we know the end. We know the end of the story, which is God has prepared a lake of fire for Satan and demons and all who bow the knee to them, right? He's prepared that. That's what's coming in the end. We know that story. So it's not that we should be over afraid, but this battle is not against flesh and blood. We are weak spiritually. We need the grace of God. This is important for us to understand uh, as we jump into the text next week, okay, when we talk about all the weapons of our warfare that God's given us to use and walk in, you got to understand initially that you can't bear that armor. Okay, it's like King David when he was tiny putting on that armor. It's like, nope, this doesn't fit. Never mind. Right? And He takes it off. Like you can't put on the armor and kind of walk into battle. It's not going to happen. It's like me in football pads. I mean, I just look like a third grader up here if I did that. Okay, it just doesn't work. We need to know we're weak. So. And he's also acknowledging that our enemy is invisible, right? Our enemy, we can't see him. We can't hear him. And we can't really understand him if we're honest and to a great degree. And so we're in a bad plight. We are in real danger. This is important to understand. We are in legitimate danger with a legitimate enemy who is legitimately powerful. Like I said, he's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient, but he is powerful. powerful. And he does have a lot of hatred. That's a big fuel for his fight. Um, and so the Bible is trying to lead us to understand our weakness. Now, let's get into the third thing that I think Paul's pointing out. So I want to spend the rest of our time. He says this, or not, he doesn't say this, but it's the weapons of our fight. So we talk about the reality of our fight, the severity of our fight. We also have to talk about the weapons of our fight. Now, not the weapons we're going to get into the armor of God next week, but um, Paul's going to give us a few things in these few little verses that are really important for us to get into grasp. So um, let's read them, verse 10 and 11, one more time. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So there's three major relationships I want us to think about when we talk about these weapons, because this will kind of help us frame where we fight and how we fight and all those things. And these are relationships. Your relationship with God, okay? Your relationship with sin And your relationship with others, whether that be the family, church, etc. Because all these relationships are severely impacted and matter in the way we fight. Now the first thing that I think is just general for why he's bringing this up is we need to remember the fight. Okay? Remember the fight. We must keep this on our minds. When we forget that we are in a war, we put our guard down. Right? We put our guard down. John Calvin was commenting on this text And it was a really good point. I I want to read it to you. This kind of has to do with our relationships and putting our guard down. You'll kind of see what it says. He says, This sentence we should remember so often as we are tempted to revengefulness under the smart of injuries from men. So when we're mad at someone, we want to get them back when they wrong us. For when nature prompts us to fling ourselves upon them with all our might this unreasonable passion will be checked and reigned in suddenly when we consider that these men who trouble us are nothing more than darts cast by the hand of Satan and that while we stoop to pick up these, we shall expose ourselves to the full force of his blows. I love that logic. That's so important, right? That's, that's a biblical thought of the, the flaming darts or flaming arrows of the enemy being shot at us, right? And he says, look, when we're tempted for revenge, right, when someone wrongs us. And he's not saying that, you know, it wasn't that someone really did make a dumb, stupid decision, someone really was sinful, someone really was mean. He's not saying that's not true. He's saying, look, when that happens, when we go over there to kind of address that and pick up those darts, what's happening is now our backside's exposed to the enemy to just give the full force of his blows, right? We should think about this. Like if we're remembering the fight that we're engaged in, we are far less likely to be petty about certain things that cause disunity and cause frustration and cause fights. I mean, think about uh, a fight with a friend or a spouse, right? And when you get to the back end of it, you say, man, that was pretty stupid, right? And what you probably weren't doing in the midst of that fight when you felt really passionate about your side of the argument was, I got to be careful here, right? I'm walking on landmines. There's an enemy that hates me, hates my relationship, hates all of these things. And we've got to be aware of these things, so we have to think about it. When we remember our fight, we can see the distracting schemes of Satan and we and turn away from those to keep our eyes on Jesus rather than on those schemes that distract us, okay? Um, so it's important that we remember um, on the same kind of subject. 2 Corinthians uh, 2, 10-11 says this, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, listen to this, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. I love that. Paul's like, look, if I've forgiven anybody, whether they wronged you, they wronged me, doesn't matter. If I've forgiven anyone, the reason I do that is not because I'm feeling super forgiving and loving, it's because we are not ignorant of his designs. We are not going to be outwitted by Satan. No, thank you, sir. If we had this mentality, there would be a lot more unity, I think, in in churches, right, in our relationships, etc. We have to. Do we have to understand this? We will not be outwitted by Satan's designs. It doesn't mean people don't do wrong things. It doesn't mean people don't legitimately hurt you. It just means we're not going to let this happen. We're going to keep this on our minds. It's so important. Another weapon is to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. I love this line. So, in the Greek, this this word for be strong. Okay, it's an imperative, but it's a passive. And basically what that means is uh, this is implying something happening to you, not something you're making happen. Does that make sense? So the force is outside of you, not inside of you. So when he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, Paul is not saying you better man up or woman up and be strong and get out there and fight because we're losing. All right, that's not what he's saying. He's saying be strengthened by the Lord and the strength of his might. Okay, so this is a picture of God infusing us with the strength of his might for the battle. This plays back to our weakness, right? This is super important for us to understand. So we need to be strong, not just in the sense that we're going to be macho, if you will, and we're just going to go in careless to the battle, but in the sense that Jesus strengthens us. Now, I do think we should be strong. We should have some grit. I maybe he is saying that too, okay? But the point is this, that the strength of Jesus' might is is what we need, right? That, that's how we battle. Without that strength, we are weak, we are feeble, and we will mess up. And so how do we be strong in the Lord is probably a simple but important question that we should ask. And my uh, simple and probably not that great answer is that we lean on him in everything possible, right? In everything possible. We lean upon the Lord. How do we do that, right? We lean on the promises of God held out to us in the scriptures that the Bible says, have their yes and amen for us, every single one of them, in Jesus Christ. We lean on those promises that God will help us, right? God will not abandon us. He will be with us until the end of the age. It's a promise of Christ for us, right? We can go on and on about naming these promises. I don't want to get too far into next week's sermon. We pray We cry out for strength. We beg our commander-in-chief to help us because we can't do it, right? We have to have this mentality. Just just think about this. You know, if you're kind of realizing, okay, in my family, say you're a parent and you kind of see some things going on in your child's life and you probably expect, okay, maybe it's because they're sinful, but also it's probably because schemes of the enemy, right? In that moment, you don't just spank your child, you know? I mean, you can spank your child. I'm not against that, but what do we do, right? We cry out to God, God, help me, Right? I don't know how to navigate this. I need your grace. I need your strength. I don't know how to communicate this to my child. I don't know how to fight these fights without you. I need you. I need your strength. And so we cry out to God for strength, to believe, strength, to be strong, strength to lean into this battle and fight, not to give up. There is no fear when King Jesus is our strength. Another weapon that we have is the armor of God. So he says right here, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So how do we stand? How do we stand firm against the enemy's schemes? We do by putting on the armor of God. Now, like I said, try not to go into next week's sermon. I apologize if I do. But I simply want to say that as children of God, we have been given amazing graces Things that we could strap on as armor to fight this good fight. We've been given amazing, everything we need to fight this battle, you've been given in Jesus Christ. Let's just name a few. Uh, We mentioned clinging to the truth and promises of God and his word. We mentioned the gift of prayer, right? John Piper was famous for saying prayer is not this button where you can beep your butler, but it's a wartime walkie-talkie, right? It's like, Lord, help me now, we're dying, you know? Um, And I'm not saying prayer is just that. I think it's also communion with God, but I think it's a good view of prayer to say, like, we need him. And he's given us many other things. He's given us the body of Christ, right, to be encouraged by, to lean on, to confess our sin to, to acknowledge the battle together and to fight together. He's given us so many things by his grace, by his spirit, in the church, in the word that we have to fight. And so if you want to stand firm, you must put on the armor of God. We must be diligent to put the armor on, okay? We would think the man or woman a fool Right? who heard the battle cry and jumped into action, only neglecting through carelessness and laziness to put on their armor before they went out. Right? What a fool. Put on the armor. It protects you. Right, It protects you from the schemes. So we must not be careless. We must not be neglectful. But we must put our armor on. And the reality is this is a crucial fight that you will engage in every single day. Yes, you will fail often. But yes, it's important. When you think about reading your Bible daily, it shouldn't be else. You can check off a list. It's I'm putting my armor on, right? I'm getting ready for the battle. It's important. It's very important. One more weapon I want to mention is the language he uses in verse 12. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the present darkness, etc. So our other weapon is that we fight together. There's an army, okay? This isn't a single man army, okay? That's not what's going to destroy the enemy. It's not just one man. I know we love the hero stories of like Rambo just slaying a bunch of people, okay? And those are cool in their own right. But uh, Jesus is Rambo. You're not and therefore you need people, right? That's how it works. should be a t-shirt. The spiritual fight against Satan is fought together by the spiritual house of God, This is important. It's fought together by believers. We encourage one another in the word of God and the gospel of God and the promises of God and the fight to believe in God, to keep our eyes on Jesus. So do not let petty disagreements divide you from others in the church. Because that's what they are, petty disagreements. And there might be some other major disagreements in the church. I get that. I'm not trying to oversimplify fights in the church. I'm just saying don't let those things keep you from fighting together when you lose unity, you lose the ability to fight. It is a lot harder um, to fight over petty things when you're in the trenches of war together. That's why it's important to remember, right? Like, I don't picture guys in World War II, you know, fighting about, you know, who stole something from them or, or something. I just don't. I don't picture that. I picture like when bombs are coming, you're going to be in the trenches fighting. It's the last thing on your mind, right? That's why Paul in 2 Timothy 2, four says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I love that text. So to be a good soldier is to the aim, right? Is to please the one who made you a soldier in the first place, who enlisted you into his army by his grace. That's our aim, to fight. So we fight together. We fight as one. We may disagree on things. We may have differences. We may try things differently. We may wear our armor differently. We may um, view certain things in the word differently, certain practices of the church differently. All those things are legitimate, but we fight together. We fight together. We fight for unity. That's why it's so important. And maybe kind of as we trail to the end here, I want to remind us that the war is won. The war is won. We know the ending. This isn't some cosmic nail-biting battle where the outcome is not decided yet. It is clearly decided and it is clearly won. Remember we talked about those areas where, you know, the, the, the enemy definitely tries to get us spiritually. I can't think of one more pressing than belief in the gospel. Right? I mean... Over and over again. There's examples in Zechariah and in others. But I'm reminded about a scripture in Micah where the enemy is prevailing over uh, the people of God. And Micah has this line where he says, basically, though the enemy is is prevailing. He says, though I fall, I shall rise. Right? Though I fail in the battle, and you will many times. You're going to get many wounds. You're going to show up to heaven with lots of scars of your spiritual warfare. Guaranteed. And and it's going to happen. But though we fall, we shall rise, right? The battle is won. That's the point of the gospel. So when Satan comes to deceive us that we are not in Christ, we say, (laughs) salvation is not because it's something in me. It's something totally outside of me, right? The gospel is, uh, the, the works of Christ, Yes, they're in me now through Christ, but they're totally outside of me. They were one apart from me. They weren't one because I, I had mustered up the faith to believe. They were one because God loved me. It's the point of Ephesians 2, right? God loved me and said, I'm in love. I'm going to come and say, right, my mercies are going to be there for you. And so this morning, I just feel impressed if you are battling belief in the gospel, if you're a battling assurance in faith, you need to fight here. You can't give up on that. You can't relegate that to, ah, it's just going to fix itself one day. No. We must fight. We must dig in together. We must get together with other believers and fight in here to believe that Jesus is enough. If you're struggling with addictive sin, you've got to dig in here and fight to believe that Jesus is enough. He's enough for you. He is far more precious than the world Than the desires of the flesh, which only wage war against your soul. You got to fight here. You can't let this battle go, right? This is the famous thing, right? If you're in a river flowing and if you're not battling against the current, you're just flowing downstream, right? We got to dig in. We got to fight together. But I want you to be encouraged that even when you're failing to fight, Jesus has already fought, right? Even when you're failing, you feel like you're hanging on by a thread that Jesus has won. And I want us to remember that this morning as we sing the gospel, as we take communion together, as we fight to engage in this battle each and every day. Let's remember that the battle's real and the battle's won. And therefore, we are encouraged to engage by the power of the Holy Spirit in this battle. So I want to pray together this morning. And just ask the Lord to help us to be aware of the enemy's schemes, to be discerning. Um, to be watchful. So let's pray together. You can bow your heads with me. Father, we come to you this morning and we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this lifeline of truth that we get, God, that all these promises for us as we engage in this battle, as we engage in this war, God, we know that you, you have the victory and you give us victory. By the precious blood of the lamb, we win the battle. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that the war is over. It is finished. That when we leave these bodies and we are flung into eternity, that we will have joy beyond all belief. That we will be justified and forgiven beyond all belief, anything we could imagine in this life. There'll be no more enemies to assail us. Nothing will be destroyed. It lasts forever. Our treasures in heaven, God, you will be there with us face to face, and you will call us friends. And God, we pray for that this morning. Help us to believe. God, I pray for everyone. Involved in providence on the sound of my voice, God, that you would help us to be discerning about the schemes of the enemy. May we not be outwitted by Satan. But rather through your word, through the power of discernment, through your Holy Spirit. That we would be thoughtful in the way we engage with others. Thoughtful in the way we engage with the world. Thoughtful in the way we engage with our sin. May we not... Keep it close to us and love it, but may we flee it, God, at all costs. And God, may you help us to put on the full armor that you've given us and to fight the good fight of faith. Don't let us be lazy. Don't let us be careless. Don't let us be ignorant. God, give us zeal. <laughs> give us zeal that we might fight this good fight for our families. For our spouses, for our friends, for our church, for our community, for the world. Help us, Lord, in this battle, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.